Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. installment of the SUAS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as always, let's say hello and a big warm welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Gene. Hello, Mr. Egan. Hello. Good to see you. Good to talk to you, and happy to be here. And we're happy to have you. Now, this one has kind of been in the works for a, long, or a little while. It's a real-world flair, and what we're going to do is, uh, as we always like to, we, we love conversations that uh, talk about real-world applications for um, this technology. And we have our, our guests today are Randall Warnes from FLIR. Hey, Randall. Hey, hey Patrick. And we have Garrett Brill, uh, who is also using uh, FLIR products for... Uh, search and rescue and life safety. Hello, Garrett. Hello, Patrick. I know you jumped in just a little bit late, but we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna move right on. And I, I would like to uh, today's podcast. Like I said, I, I really like these podcasts where we get uh, real world experience and people talk about the use cases and whatnot um, from pu- from putting this technology up in the air or whatever they uh, need to do to complete their job. But before we get into the, the uh, let's say, the uh, meat of the conversation, maybe we could go around and do uh, some bio. So I think we'll start off with uh, Randall. Randall, could you give us a, a brief bio uh, about yourself and how you became involved with uh, small unmanned aircraft systems? Sure. Uh, so very brief bio is uh, back in 2014, was a part of one of the first uh, companies in the world to put drones in a, in a brick-and-mortar retail location, uh, opened up 15 locations across North America over 2014 and 2015, uh, and then uh, went on to work for DJI. Uh, while at DJI, I worked with some of my colleagues in China to set up the foundation of DJI Enterprise, which the Zenmuse XT, the thermal imaging integrated camera, was the first product uh, along that line. And so I became very familiar with FLIR um, as a company and also aerial thermal imaging. And from there, moved on to work for FLIR, where I run their uh, UAS business globally, working with manufacturers, software providers, um, and large end users or or serious end users of this technology, and uh, try to keep an open mind and an open perspective on what could be beneficial for FLIR to enter or add into the drone industry. And Obviously, we're the leader in thermal, so that's what brings us to uh, this conversation in search and rescue. <laughs> well, that was a good one. That was that was pretty concise. You covered a lot of real estate in a uh, short time, <laughs> sure. so that was good. So you've had a little practice at that one. Um, and Garrett, uh, could you could you please do the same, sir? 
yes. <clears throat> so uh, um, my background uh, started starts really in aviation uh, with aerospace engineering, and of course that uh, naturally goes into whenever the uh, drones came about. Um, you know, started using those, and and then uh, shortly after, uh, started using them in public safety using the DJI. Uh, products with uh, the Joshua Fire Department, uh, and that was back in 2014. Uh, from there, you know, kind of progressed forward, and then, uh, as Randall said, that the XT uh, came out on the Inspire One platform, and I was lucky lucky enough to be one of the uh, very first users of it. And of course, uh, it kind of changed everything for us. Um, and from there, uh, we used it as one of the primary imaging systems on just about everything that we could. Um, and from then along came, uh, after that came, uh, some of the other, uh, FLIR products like the dual pro and stuff like that. And now we have the XT two. So, um, we, I use them mostly for, for, uh, really all for public safety with the Joshua fire department. Now we also have the public safety U.S. response team. That's good. Okay, that sounds good. That was a that's a good. Uh, you also covered a lot of real estate there, and uh, you know people that have listened to the podcast. We've you know we're snuggling three hundred and fifty thousand downloads, so they should know Gene Robinson. But uh, for the sake of of a background for this podcast, Gene, would would it be possible for you to discuss um, some of your experience with FLIR products and small UAS for search and rescue, fire fighting, et cetera. Sure. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to give you the management summary on this one. Cause I mean, I could go on for a very long time, but, uh, you know, when we started RP flight systems, uh, we had the Spectra flying wing and, uh, our first encounter with the FLIR product was back in 2008. My partner, uh, business partner at the time, Myron Smorenberg was in Houston working with Texas EquiSearch. And uh, had some FLIR representatives there, some sales representatives, and we really tried hard to dig up their names, but, you know, it's been a a lot of history there. But uh, Myron actually uh, did a field incorporation of a FLIR towel. I think everybody can probably remember the towel core uh, that was uh, one of the smaller cores that came up there. And uh, he actually flew that towel core over the, the, uh, the killing fields there in Dickinson, which uh, uh, you know, if you if you do any research on that one, that's where uh, Tim Miller's daughter uh, ended up uh, being found in that very gruesome uh, serial killing thing there. But uh, he very successfully flew that that FLIR towel uh, over that area, you know, looking just basically to see what we could see because it was in a, an infancy, and uh, you know, it was it was pretty impressive to be able to to even. Uh, get that from a drone at the time, a civilian drone. And uh, from, you know, there we moved into the search and rescue game. So actually since 2005, we've been doing search and rescue with drones. And, uh, of course, everybody knows that when the XT came out, I, uh, along with Garrett, was lucky enough to uh, get one of the, the, the betas, if you will, of that X3 and got to put it through its paces and uh, very quickly, we, we, we managed to get saved. Uh, it was along uh, uh, I-35 here in Texas. We had a missing endangered adult, and uh, uh, it was instrumental in us finding that individual. And uh, from there, we've made several more. And uh, 
it's as Garrett says, this thing has been a game changer for the small unmanned aircraft industry for public safety. Because, as you know, most of our bad stuff happens at night. And when you have limited visibility and limited vision, what do you got to do? You got to go to a FLIR or a NOG or, you know, something like that. And uh, with the XT, having XT2, now having both the uh, EO and IR, um, you know, it's pretty complete package. So I, anyway, I kind of wandered off and I, I, I got away from what I've done in the past, but uh, that's kind of part and parcel to, you know, how we got to where we are today. And we still use our X2 today. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm the odd man out here because uh, the only experience I have with FLIR products is the FLIR Seastar Sapphire um, <clears throat> EOIR sensor, and that's a very robust sensor, uh, but heavier than a small UAS would be. But uh, got a lot of lot of time on that. Um, and yeah, it's funny when the XT came out the first. Yes, sir. I was going to say you haven't lived yet. You got to try this out. I know, I do, I, uh, because you know, I loved the uh, I love the capabilities. I will say, I mean, the, to say that the thermal imaging is a game changer is almost an, an understatement because, uh, you know, if you have thermal imaging or you don't have thermal imaging, you know, there's, there's a saying about you should just go home. But if you're in the business of uh, life safety, I mean, it, it's pretty much uh, from where I stand, it, it's a must. I did. And when the first XT came out and maybe you were there, Randall, were you, were you there for the kickoff in San Francisco, the little press party? I, I was in San Francisco for that launch party. Yeah. On December 10th, I believe 2015. Yes. And I remember that I looked at it and I go, man, you know, it'd be really nice if this had a uh, EO camera on it also. And everybody was like, God, there's no pleasing some people. I go, well, you know, I've instructed, uh, you know, ISR teams, blah, blah, blah. And and not a lot of people, you know, looking at thermal imagery uh, takes a little bit of doing to get your spatial, let's say, reference without uh, an electro-optical camera. So I was like, you know, well, then you can can also uh, blend the pictures and, you know, yada, yada. It goes on and on. But I'm like, I'm just saying, I have a way of, you know. Uh, well, I don't want to go down that road. Anyway, so uh, but it, I do believe it's a game changer, especially at the size, price point, and let's say um, availability. Um, I think it's it's really done some great changes or or added some uh, great tools to the uh, let's say life safety toolbox. And also, I know you know a lot of people use um, you know uh, FLIR sensors or FLIR imaging for industrial applications also. And I, and I do want to touch on that a little bit too. And maybe we should do that right now, Randall. I mean, I know people are sure. using it for like, uh, you know, roof inspections and energy leaks. And you can look at solar panels and electrical connections. And, you know, I mean, it's like a soup to nuts deal, but maybe you could run over that real quick for us. Sure. I, I guess that thermal imaging is relevant in anything where a temperature or the amount of radiation coming off of something is going to determine whether it's functioning normally or not. So with roof inspection, you can see where there's maybe water seeping underneath shingles or a rubber membrane on a roof and be able to determine that there's a problem. Um, utilities, uh, you can you know see if, if the normal operating temperatures are, are being hit with the process of radiometry. 
um, solar inspection, like you said, a lot of wildlife uh, detection and, and management. And that kind of leads us into these public safety applications where uh, Garrett has been on you know, the front end, not only of search and rescue, but also working with firefighting. Um, so we find right now, I would say 60% of the customers of thermal imaging, small UAS is for public safety in some way, way, shape or form. And a lot of that is going to be looking at hotspots on fires and also for um, law enforcement agencies uh, doing work, looking for people where it's not necessarily a search and rescue mission. Um, but that's where we see largely this technology is being used. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think you covered it. Um, I mean, really, when when you talk about the magic of drones, the uh, thermal imaging part of it is actually, uh, I would say, closer to the uh, closer to the magic. It is. It works on a lot of good stuff. Um, so you know, with, without uh, you know, a lot of people like to talk about possibilities, and that's really why everyone is on this call today. Is because instead of talking about possibilities, we are actually going to talk about the realities. And so, and we'll just run through here, but the thermal imaging, you know, the first thoughts you would share with the potential end user, and, and we can do life safety, and we'll start with you, uh, Randall. I mean, what do you, when someone approaches you and says, hey, you know, is this, is this technology um, on, on a small UAS, is this something we should look into? What, what would you say to life safety people? Sure. I think that it's a proven uh Lifesaver and and property saver when it comes to uh, public safety app, public safety applications. So it's not a gimmick. It's not like there's a few of these cameras around and we're still testing it. We have been using thermal imaging for uh, search missions on manned aircraft for decades, and you know, we just have miniaturized it and made it more cost effective. And and the power of small unmanned systems make it so that you can do these things uh, navigating over rough terrain and, and over treetops and in the night, uh, in the darkness of night and be able to locate people without, you know, without much of an issue. And I think that, you know, as we get to Gene and Garrett, they'll be able to attest that uh, when you are able to hold a controller in your hand or look at a screen and when you're looking for someone that has been missing or, you know, uh, that, you're you're covering a, an endless amount of land. Uh, having a uh, low cost of a of an uh, unmanned system along with a thermal imaging camera, I don't think there's better technology out there. All right, well, yeah, that's a good one. And then Garrett, I know that you know. So you're you're working with uh, you know the fire department there, and when this all came about, uh, what what would you uh, what would you tell people that uh, that ask about this technology? Um, my my first question would be to them: uh, If if you don't have one, uh, what are you waiting for? It's it's uh, uh, as Randall said, it's it's almost um, I, I would consider it almost a to the point of being detrimental to your department, um, or even really putting your your uh, firefighters or police officers at uh, undue risk if you don't have something like this because it is proven. Uh, we use it time and time and time again. We use it. In fact, you know the the uh, new combination series like the um, the uh, Flare Dual Pro and the XT2. Uh, it used to be we would arrive on scene. We had to figure out whether we were going to do, you know, with the XT thermal or we were going to do optical. Uh, now mm-hmm. it's it's not even a question that, that that one of those dual sensors go on there and we're up in the air as soon as we know that we want to have an aircraft in the air, which is pretty much all the time. Um, you know. My fire chief Wayne Baker, he he uh, has been kind of keeping track, and it 
uh, his numbers show that it saves about three hours off of every fire that you use these on. Now that's uh, potential lives and, and lots of property. Um, and, and, and I do like to bring that up to a lot of people think uh, lives, and that's, of course, the most important, but it does save a lot of property. The other thing that we're seeing here, especially with these latest round of sensors, like I said, the, the Dual Pro and the uh, X-T2, is that uh, they can see things um, like lasers and flashlights. So I'll give a little scenario that I like to talk about uh, real quick here about how much time I can draw, uh, talk a mental uh, picture here and show you how much time something like this could save. So if there's any firefighters listening, if you take and you have a nighttime wildland fire, as you know, you all go out there and you, you uh, knock out everything that glows, and then you spend the rest of the night chasing smoke until the sun comes up pretty much. You know, that's, that's pretty much standard operations. Well, you take and you put one of these out there, and let's say you uh, let's let's take it to the extreme and couple it with a laser, a marking laser, a green laser off of off of the drone that you can see that spot in the XT2 or the Dual Pro. So now you locate your hot spots. Uh, I like to use isotherm, which is a technology in these these units, and you locate your hot spots and you mark that location with a laser. And it now becomes pretty much uh, laser tag. The firefighters go over there in a brush truck, spray that laser in, in the surrounding area till it till it uh, the temperature goes down. You turn the laser off. They know that it's extinguished. You go to the next one, and you knock them all out. Do one more pass, and everybody goes home in less than an hour later. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things these things pretty much change everything. And and you can relate that to police scenarios too. You know, if you have a suspect that goes hiding in the woods or something like that, it's still difficult. Uh, for an officer's, you know, if you're trying to bring him into the location uh, via verbal communication, you know, there's a lot of confidence in it that you're telling him left and left is right and right, and you don't get it mixed up. Uh, but if you can actually indicate something like that using the thermal imager uh, and show him exactly where it's at, it, it changes everything. It really, really does. Well, you know, and another point that you hit on there that makes sense is, you know, you said time. And time is one thing, lives is another thing, but there's also exposure um, of your equipment and your personnel and safety. More time you're out in the field uh, at night and let's say, you know, uh, wilderness conditions or fire conditions or, or even law enforcement conditions or whatever, your, your people are exposed to uh, injury and your equipment is exposed to damage. So <clears throat> if you can expedite all of those things and move out of the scene and wrap everything up a lot faster, there's a lot less chance for people to get hurt or things to get damaged. That's what well, I've noticed that, in the, the, the work I've done. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say what the the other thing along right along those lines is also that uh, um, you know when it rains it pours and anybody that's in emergency services knows that um, it, it seems like you might have a little small stand of of uh, nice and relaxing time and then all of a sudden everything breaks loose you know and so. Uh, the faster that you can get your personnel back and to be in available status, uh, that's a, that's a huge benefit. So, yeah, and ready to refit and uh, redeploy. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, and so, Gene, you know, I'm going to pose the same question to you. You know, so uh, I know you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you know what? So when the question was asked to you, what, what do you say, you know, about this technology? And, and well, I, I have to echo what what both uh, Randall and Garrett say because uh, in the search and rescue game, our very small motto is minutes matter. 
So anytime you can reduce the amount of exposure time that your victim has to whatever they're involved in or whatever situation or whatever environment they're in, it could be the difference between life and death. Uh, and uh, we've been on several calls where, uh, you know, toddlers have gone out missing and it's a 32-degree night and, uh, you know, we find them, you know, just before sunup and they're very near hypothermia. And if we hadn't found them, chances are they would have expired. So mm. the minutes matter thing is, is really important in, in that particular instance. And one of the things that, that Garrett said that I will echo is that if you don't have a FLIR, and you don't have the capability of, of putting a small UAS up like this, you're serving your constituents for half the time. You're, you're, you're bound to serve 24-7, but you can serve them more effectively with that particular sensor because otherwise you're going out blind. You really are. And uh, rekindles, as you know, we've, we've discussed, rekindles on wildland fires will run you buggy trying to get those things done. The the FLIR, even the lowest resolution FLIR, can find hotspots in a wide expanse. So, I, again, I would have to say, you know, why haven't you done it? I mean, for considerably less than what a lot of other pieces of equipment cost, you can have the ability to be able to see in the dark. And then all the other things that, that you discussed about exposure, liability, uh, being able to refit and be prepared for the next one, all that applies. But, again, you know, those are downstream that are all real and they're tangible, but uh, minutes matter. Right, right. Now, uh, you know, you've used some of the other uh, of their their other products. I mean, you did some work with NIST on the uh, wildlife urban, or I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. wildland urban interface stuff. The, we that, did. That, we uh, did science the, there. We we did we did some really cool science with that one. That was with the Taze Duo, and uh, the the interesting thing about the Taze Duo is that it did have EO and IR, but the focal length between the two of them were offset, and it was kind of interesting to, to do that. And we did modify the flare. We put some neutral density filters in front of them so that we could expand the temperature range that they would see. But in a matter of 18 months, we collected data that to this day is even still being incorporated into a 3D fire model. So there you go. It's mm. uh, pretty interesting. Now, <clears throat> I also know... Um, you know that, uh, and this is for Randall. That uh, Flair's got some uh, software that is uh, that is also meant to use with this technology. And there's some some new developments. Maybe maybe you could discuss some of that or go into that a little bit. So I guess it would be depend on which software we're speaking about. Well, uh, we, uh, for, we 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 just uh, put in a, a minority share investment with a company called DroneSense, and I don't know if that's what you're referring to, or we have our own proprietary software called Flare Tools and Flare Tools Plus. Uh, it's actually the proprietary stuff, but we could talk about the new stuff okay. too. Well, sure. So, I mean, as far as Flare Tools go, um, these cameras are are on one side you're able to see an image where you can make determinations about a subject just based off of what um, you know the relative temperature difference between one subject and another. But you can also get radiometric data, <clears throat> which is temperature data uh, from every pixel within the image. And so we do have software called Clear Tools, which allows you to manipulate that data uh, to extract more value out of an image 
post-processing. But that's generally used for things uh, like utility inspections, solar inspections, but not so much with the public safety space. Um, it can be, but I, I wouldn't see a lot of use there. Uh, but as far as the drone sense stuff, there are they are a relatively small uh, software company based in Austin, Texas, and focused primarily, or I guess solely, on uh, firefighting uh, applications of, of UAS technology. And they basically have written software that it's uh, asset management as well as it's a way that you can replay your flight and show where you were looking at all times. So it allows you to be able to uh, go back and, and Garrett has used this and maybe could explain this more firsthand, but you can basically go back through your flight and for documentation purposes, show where that flight took place and see where other drones within your group are flying real time. So if you're doing a search and rescue mission, you could see what ground has been covered by which unit real time. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, maybe Garrett, you could expand on that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we, we the, the PSERC team, uh, here, public safety U.S. response team. They they uh, use the drone sense uh, for team operations because um, there's, there's a lot of things that it does uh, really well, and one of them is allows you to fly uh, cooperatively. You know, with with other uh, UAS flying in the same vicinity. We've always had the challenge of, of uh, above ground level altitudes. You know, especially if another guy goes. Even even 100 yards down the road, and, and his uh, the, he he takes off from a lower altitude than you, then uh, you have some serious issues. So this allows us to fly MSL altitude, and you can get um, all the information from uh, all your wingmen out there that are flying along with you. But um, they did they do have the um, the XT and the XT2 uh, implemented very well, arguably uh, even better than the than DJI on their implementation of it. So um, it does work very well. Uh, and we and we do use it uh, again mostly for for uh, team operations. So and uh, you know so you you find the software uh, helpful, um, you know, and I, I guess you report back to these people and tell them you know what what's going on with it. I know like talking to Gene, Gene, you had to develop a lot of uh, different processes for yourself. Um, are, are you uh, you happy doing it the old school way? Are you looking for software solutions? Uh, have you used this stuff? Well, you know, I'm I'm forever and ever going to be a, a, a an alpha geek. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be continually looking for better ways to do things. And I will have to say that since I am pretty near Austin, that we've been involved with uh, Drone Sense since they started, actually, uh, and uh, gave them input from the very beginning on that software. So, yeah, we're pretty pleased with the, with the implementation that they've done so far with it. And, uh, uh, you know, Gerard and Chris and the guys out there, we expect a lot from them, and we expect a lot more from them, and they've got a, they've got a pretty good product. Well, that's good. I, you know, any, any tools that uh, help in the uh, toolbox, that's a, that's a great thing. So, you know, when, I, when I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from everyone here is basically started out as kind of uh, a tool that was added to the toolbox. Now this has become a technology that is a must. Is that a fair assessment of what we've just discussed? Garrett? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, you know to me, uh, whenever I look at this, uh, the difference that a FLIR unit makes um, on, on a drone or a UAS, 
um, it's it basically what I like to say is it, it triples your capability. Um, and people are well, what what do you mean by triple? Well, one obviously is that uh, now you can extend your operations to night and day. Because I mean, uh, you know, let's be honest, a a regular optical camera at night, as Gene pointed out, is uh, not really uh, all that great of a tool. Um, so now you can extend your operations into night. Uh, you can uh, see in a spectrum uh, that you couldn't see before, and you can also, it, it, if you know how to use the technology or learn how to use the technology properly, um, it can drastically, drastically reduce uh, the time it takes, and this is what Gene was pointing out, the time it takes, uh, both firefighting, police, and search and rescue, all of the above. Um, to me, it, again, it doesn't make sense to to not to have a UAS program and to not have a thermal imaging unit just it doesn't make sense at all you should you should either be uh getting one budgeting for one or at least researching it uh, at a minimum that's a, that's a pretty good uh testament there gene i, I have... want to say just a little this this a little humorous aside there you know and it's not the lead up is is that uh uh, there are some numerous things that happen with the FLIR. I, I can describe a SWAT situation where we had uh, a shooter uh, that was subdued, but they thought that there were others out there, so we were uh, in position and we were on constant contact with two SWAT members and trying to tell them that there was a likely target behind a brick wall and uh, a low brick wall, and as we were talking to them, and it's pitch black for them, and they're going in with their nogs and all that good stuff, and we walk them in five meters four meters, three meters, two meters, you're on top of them, and they're all locked and loaded, and then there's an explosion, and this uh, two or three targets go taken off, and we almost had venison that night because it was a, a pod of deer that were bedded down together, and it, it looked for the world like a person back there. <laughs> but uh, uh, that was that was pretty good, and, and one of the things that you never think of, you know, I we, you know, since we started this thing with RP Flight Systems, Myron and I were actually uh, involved with the uh, the body farm there in uh, Texas State University. And uh, we've, we've been flying out there since they had the first volunteer. Well, when we got out there with our X-3 and we were looking at various states of uh, ECOMP, if you will, uh, they were saying, oh, yeah, you don't need to worry about those guys there. They've quit putting off heat a long time. And with the radiometric function, we started pinpointing them and said, uh, no, that's not the case, according to our instrument. And from that one flight, it changed the way they do business. They now carry handheld thermals to check temperature so that they could get a more accurate read when they quit putting off heat. So, I mean, it just it, it just keeps going. And, you know, like I said, it kind of gives you superpowers. It allows you to see in a spectrum that you don't get to see with a normal sensor or the naked eye. So, I mean, it, it's a tremendous tool. Can't, can't say enough about it. So it's a must-have. Father, can I throw something out there real quick? Sure. Because I do work for FLIR, and I just want <laughs> anyone that is listening to know that this isn't like, it's not like we said, hey, make sure you say a bunch of great stuff about FLIR technology. I no, no. wouldn't want that to sound like this is a self-pitch, <laughs> but basically Gene and Garrett going on and saying how great this stuff is, I'm like, I better throw out there that it's not like these guys were like coached to doing this. It's the real deal. And if you haven't seen this technology work, 
see a single video of using isotherm trying to locate a person or locating a, a, a hot spots and fire. The, the videos are out there, and I'm sure Gene and Garrett have a, a collection of them. Um, but I, I just wanted to, you know, throw that out there that if you're, you know, rolling your eyes listening to this, you're like, oh, what did Flair do to get these guys to say? We didn't – I didn't do anything. No, no, this is – that's not how we roll here. And that's, you know, I mean, that, that's sure. the difference that, that we try and do with this podcast is uh, – and and I think that's part of the popularity that people listen to this. I mean, you know, and uh, it's like when we try and like – when somebody, you know, people are, oh, you know, do you know any experts? You know, it's like, well, yeah, I, I know a lot of experts in this field, and I try and get them on here. This is unvarnished. You know, these people are talking about, like both Garrett and Gene are talking about real-world stuff here. Um, or, you know, we wouldn't even waste our time having them on, but there, there's no, uh, no coaxing, no plying anyone with uh, liquor or anything. This is the straight stuff. Um, and, you know, over the years of doing this, like Gene has talked to me about some of the stuff he's done, like the stuff at the body farm. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit, uh, you have to have kind of a strong stomach for it, but a lot of research, uh, goes into this and, and it's amazing. Uh, like Gene said, it just keeps going and going and going and going. And, um, it, and it just blows me away. And, and as I had uh, said in the beginning of this podcast, I was really excited about this podcast cause we're going to hear a lot of good stuff. And, uh, I think we hit pay dirt from about five minutes in and I want to continue with the pay dirt and Randall, you know, you, you mentioned an acquisition and another one I want to talk about is the black Hornet. And anyone that doesn't really know about the Black Hornet, the Black Hornet is a small UAS, and uh, I first got to see it in Norway, Oslo, in uh, 2014. And you look at this uh, little thing; it's a nano helicopter, and I was like, "Wow, you know, this is this is pretty cool." Maybe you could talk a little bit about it, and then and we could progress into some some other big news about it. For sure. So um, we acquired a company called Prox Dynamics about two years ago. And they had the Black Hornet, and now we're at the the third variation of that product. But uh, basically, if you want to find a UAS that's nearly silent, nearly invisible to uh, the naked eye, so it can do reconnaissance missions uh, and things of that nature, a whole suite of of sensors on board, uh, EOIR, and um, you know you're able to to get a lot of data without with a, a significant amount of stealth, which is useful for public safety and military applications. So that's what it's focused on. Uh, there's not a lot of the other inspection type work that's being done with this technology, but um, we're really proud of it. The, the U.S. Army is a big consumer of these uh, nanocopters, and uh, it, it really just gives a new perspective uh, on how this technology is being used, and we're really grateful for that team in Norway that, that put together the business, and now we we get to learn a lot of lessons from them as we move forward in other uh, areas of, of UAS technology. Well, and, and I want to talk about it a little bit because I was in Norway and we actually, they were, uh, I interviewed um, them on a episode of drone TV while we were there and it was December in Norway. And he was like, would you like to see it fly? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, yeah, this, you know, our, <laughs> yeah, I want to see it fly. And we go out and as anyone can imagine, uh, Norway in December, is cold, wet, windy, as you would imagine, and, uh, you know, puts it up in the air and the thing flies. And I'm like, wow, because it definitely weighs under 250 grams. I forget what the weight is on it exactly. I think it's like five grams. Yeah, it's really low. And the thing with it is, and I'm like, wow, this thing is flying in the wind. 
is flying in the rain. Well, it's an actual, this is a real helicopter. It has a swash plate and everything on it. So it can fly in the wind. It's, it's, uh, can fly in the rain. I was blown away. I was like, wow, you know, can I take this one home for, since we're so close to Christmas? Um, I didn't, <laughs> I guess I wasn't good enough. I was still on the naughty list cause I didn't get one, but, uh, amazing little, uh, helicopter. And you're right, Randall, it has, uh, I believe it has three cameras on it. It has a forward facing, it's got a, a thermal, and then it's got a, um, a, a one that points straight down and it's got a long, it's got tons of capability. It's really great. But then, you know, the other good news I wanted to talk about this is you guys did get a waiver. Let's, can, can you talk about the waiver a little bit? Yeah, so uh, early on, as, as it's a uh, difficult thing to see, since it's about the size of the palm of your hand, it, it, by its nature, it's pretty much always flying beyond visual line of sight. So we needed to then find a way to do the demonstrations of this product and then, you know, later on be able to, to have others use it uh, for its intended purpose. So uh, we were one of the first 14, and I don't know what number was in that first 14, but I can tell you we were in that group. Uh, to get a beyond visual line of sight waiver in the United States through the FAA. Um, I think that we had an easy, easier time than some might have because uh, when you're going through this beyond visual line of sight waiver process, you're really talking about risk mitigation. And when you're talking about acceptable risk of a, you know, let's say, under 100-gram thing falling and hitting you or going full speed and, and hitting a person, there's very little damage that could be caused. So um, if you're able to mitigate risk to that, degree the FAA generally doesn't have too many issues with it but going through that process it was a ton of lessons learned it also increased our interactions with the FAA to position us for bigger things in the future for unmanned systems as well yeah well uh, you are correct on that when it, it it doesn't have to get too far away before it's definitely out of uh, visual line of sight so uh, that I guess was a must-have the other thing, when you say that, too, and you mitigate risk, if you see one of these in person, it does fit in the palm of your hand. And uh, I'm sure that safety case was probably uh, one of the easier ones to prove, uh, you know, for, sure. the, uh, for the FAA to say, hey, you know, there's really low risk here. But, yeah, it's a great little well, with system. That, with that being said, the amount of testing we had to do to prove it, I mean, it's not just about saying, oh, look, it, you can't do any damage with it, so just give us the waiver. We went through doing multiple rounds of testing of what is the actual kinetic energy that's uh, you know, caused by impact going full speed. What's the uh, possible impact or, or kinetic energy falling from the sky at, at whatever altitude? So we had to do more science than just say, look, it's, it's obviously safe. And I think anyone that is pursuing a, a beyond visual line of sight waiver should be ready for putting in the work to to make that argument for their system as well. Right. Although, you know, the terminal velocity of an apple on uh, Sir Isaac Newton's head, it's probably the apple weighs more than the uh, the Black Hornet. But, you know, right. um, you got to go through the steps and you have to prove it and everything else. But it's very exciting. It's an exciting technology. Um, it's an exciting piece of equipment, and uh, it is also exciting that you guys got the uh, Beyond Visual Line of Sight uh, waiver. Um, and it is kind of expensive, but, uh, you know, our, our uh, let's say, you know, larger law enforcement agencies um, uh, buying these, or is it primarily military? I would say that the primary primary focus is military, but we, because it's a Norwegian company and because they were well-established, we, we sell these things 
uh, to militaries and, and uh, law enforcement agencies around the world. Um, and so I don't even think it has to be a large one. It just has to be one that's ready to take on the technology and has use for recognizance on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Well, if you know, if anybody gets to uh, the opportunity to see one, you'll you will be impressed. Uh, if you want, you can go to the SUS News uh, YouTube channel and you can look for the Oslo Norway drone TV episode. The interviews on there. It's pretty interesting. We talk about the capabilities, and we actually uh, videoed the flight test. But again, the beyond visual line of sight thing it disappears rather quickly. But it's still kind of exciting to see. Um, you know, so the other thing I wanted to talk about this too, besides that exciting technology, we we pretty much I think hit all of the the points. Um, are there? And you know, I I know, and I'm running the risk again of sounding like somebody who's never satisfied. Um, do do we have anything new and exciting on the horizon that we can we can talk about, Randall? Yeah, so I think that what we've the biggest changes that are being uh, introduced into the thermal imaging world is is not necessarily higher resolution or higher functionality, but it's miniaturizing. Uh, it's taking less weight and it's taking less uh, less to power it. So um, with the boson core, uh, we've we've been using Tau two cores for ten years on many of our products, including the UAS products. And I think that it would be reasonable to say that most things will be based off the boson, which is, I would say, a sixth of the size and maybe a tenth of the weight uh, and a significant uh, amount less of power consumption. So for a UAS application, all of those things are extremely important for flight time uh, and as well as just capability of getting a payload on. So we don't have anything that's like we're putting out tomorrow or we're announcing here, but we are working on technology that will be much more suitable for a, a wider number of UAS platforms because of that reduction in size and weight, as well as just, uh, you know, significant to the, uh, to the flight time. Well, and, uh, you know, those are all uh, good things to strive for because, like you said, you know, you want a lighter, less power consumption, more time in the air, uh, more usability. Um, any, any uh, Garrett, any wish list? Are you happier than a clam with what you got? Oh, don't ask me for a wish list because I'm one of those guys. <laughs> to, to, to just go, I, I, what, 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 did, what did Gene say? What did he call himself? An alpha geek. I, Gene, I'm stealing that, man. I, I, I'm an alpha geek, too, and it, it could go on forever. Um, no, uh, you know, for, you know, I, I could see things like, I, I'll, I'll give you an example of just one thing. If you're going to put a, put something on my wish list, um, you know, the, probably the only way that I know of without, without knowing anything better uh, would be, you know, you take and you put something, you get something like a FLIR Duo Pro or X-T2, and then you, you add zoom capabilities to it as well to where you truly have a pretty much all-in-one uh, payload that you can put on there and have every, because, you know, right now, X-T2 or, or FLIR Duo Pro, you put it on there, but there are some times where you need to verify, hey, this looks like it could be a body part or it looks like it could be, you know, a, a shirt or the, the color of the shirt, and you either have a Zoom camera to verify that or you send in uh, one of the, the guys on the ground to, to verify what you're seeing. Um, so, you know, something like that. Of course, you know, FLIR makes magic happen uh, is what I always say. And so, you know, who knows what they'll, what they'll come out with and, and allow us to see it. There's also um, on the fire side, more of the hazmat side, 
there's been a lot of guys asking for something that could see, um, you know, uh, gases or something like that. You know, the, the hazmat mm-hmm. guys are, are kind of like your, like almost like kind of like your SWAT team and the police, your hazmat guys, they have their very specialized stuff. Um, and they, they want to be able to see, you know, detect gases or fumes and stuff like that. So, um, of, of the short, uh, wish list off the top of my head, that's, that's, uh, probably the things that I can come up with. And I, you know, and I, I can see us really getting there. Uh, the technology is really changing for, for, uh, size and miniaturization and what we can fly and all the rest of that. And I know FLIR does offer, uh, some, some different, uh, focal length lenses. That's correct. Right, Randall? Yeah, I guess that for different applications uh, require uh, different fields of views or, or amount of, of pixels you can get on the target from a distance that you want to fly from that target. So we try to give a variation, um, but you know there are some limitations to the technology as far as the number of pixels we can get into a non-uncooled core, uh, which we're working on for Gene and Garrett and, and public safety alike, but it, we're still a ways away. Yeah, well, you know, but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how this progresses. We've seen a lot of uh, changes in the last couple of years, and you're talking about some some new technologies with the new uh, sensor and things. I, I think we're going to get there, and uh, I, I'm really excited that we got to do this uh, podcast. I learned a lot. Um, the technology is great, and uh, I think uh, it's it's going to really uh, progress in the next couple of years. And and I want to thank wait, everyone wait, for wait, hey hey. Wait, you didn't ask the Alpha Geek what's on his wish list. Oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's because I figured uh, this one's going to be long. And uh, but go ahead, you give us one of your wishes, and uh, maybe you know. Hey, okay, that. one wish is going to be the Star Trek tricorder on a drone. That's it. That's it. <laughs> How about some cloaking technology? You want some of that too? Ah, uh, no, we can, that's Klingon stuff. We'll use Federation stuff. Just the tricorder is good for right now. But I can go on. Uh, you just only give me one. So there you go. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. All right, I'm going to work on that. I'm going down to the basement now. Anyway, I want to thank you gentlemen for coming on. That was a, a fantastic uh, podcast. As always, it's great to have experts on and learn. So thank all of you for being on and uh, everyone for listening. Until next week or the next episode, um, you know, have have a good one. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you, guys. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.